Welcome to the only show dedicated to a new way of delivering healthcare. This new model has no name, but let's go ahead and call it direct contracting or digital first care. The new way centers on opting out of the games bigs play with their rigged dice, their crooked game board, and their purchased referees. And if you're looking for a future where everyone wins, that's the doc, the consumer, the employer, and with assured amazing outcomes and measurably lower costs that are ranging up to 60%, you're in the right place. I'm Ron Barshop, your host. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the new healthcare economy. Claim the PCPs for this latest embarrassment published by the Commonwealth Fund. Study says primary care here trails our global peers, and a casual reader might blame our great PCPs. No, as Robin Williams told Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. I'll repeat that until you cry and we hug, and we'll have catharsis, the Reddits will roll, and then maybe we both might get an Academy Award. There's three reasons why U.S. primary care docs and nurses and PAs aren't even close to being at fault. Number one, corporate bigs recently wrestled control of the majority of primary care referrals with these especially aggressive acquisitions this pandemic, thanks to $175 billion, no strings attached, handout called the Marshall Plan, CARES Act. But really, it's a $248 billion check if you add up all the federal largesse that came in the last two years. None of them needed it in eight quarters of retrospect, except for the rural hospitals, and HCA nobly gave their billions back. Kudos to HCA for giving back no strings attached billions. And in a weird turn, the healthcare universe intentionally is turning up the heat on independent primary care demonizing fee for service, which is exactly how most bigs bill charges. The heat comes from every imaginable direction but the pandemic ghosting of patient volume was the final straw for tens of thousands of PCPs hanging on by their fingernails. So shame, shame, shame on you fee-for-service PCPs, mostly independents. That's the battle cry from the value-based care camp. But in the same breath, don't shame the massive fee-for-service universe of bigs living and dying by that same volume-centric sword, the American hospital. And as an independent primary care grasp for air, big systems exceeded pre-pandemic performance thanks to light CMS audits of all things COVID and to, thank you, ancillaries like sky-high margin collection divisions, which goosed up their EBITDA. So independent PCPs are furiously paddling upstream with chopsticks in a leaky rowboat, and the bigs are powering downstream in a drug lord's 1,850 horsepower cigar boat. It's not an even playing field when hospital-owned PCPs can build and collect double or triple the collections they did the day after they sell a practice to a big. And for the turbocharged reimbursement, the patient sees not only not one iota of quality increase, but is now steered to expensive big-known imaging labs. And we're going to learn today about surgery centers. And the Stark laws, weirdly, are not carved out for independents who get in trouble for self-referring, but it's cool for them to do it into the hospital system. So it doesn't apply, it's carve out. So while the doc doesn't benefit as an owner, once they sell to a hospital of that surgery or imaging referral, the RVUs accumulate very nicely towards a nice Christmas bonus. So that's the rig game, carve outs, price gaming, 
much, much more. But the bottom line is the consumers and the employers lose tax revenues, too, because 70 percent of all the bigs are nonprofits, charity hospitals, which is an odd word considering their actual charity care as a percentage is calculated at exactly half of the for profit hospitals like Tenet and HCA. That comes from a recent John Hawkins study, Guy Bai, a friend of the show, conducted recently. This factory medicine result, where all of us feel like a number, is squarely on the bigs. Marcus Welby is dead, dead, dead. Long live McDreamy and George Clooney, the hospitalists. But I'll pit my favorite 10 PCPs any day against any country in the octagon, and the competitor will tap out round one for comparing knowledge, competence, and caring of the American doctor. And I know this, it's not your fault, Doc. Point number two, our pandemic response rate is the lowest decile of death rates per 100,000 of all the countries on the planet. Now, again, I'm looking at data from John Hopkins, it's published on their website every day. And this is thanks to a policy of chaos, not best practices, muzzling, not open debate. Countries with a tiny fraction of our per capita spend had death rates, one, two, three, four percent of our own death rates for COVID. Poles and bureaucrats, and frankly, the bigs lobby, don't get an F for this. They get banned for class from life. Do no harm was forcibly set aside to please the suits. And the PCPs got sucked into this dark dystopian vortex out of fear for their jobs. And nobly, many spoke out and immediately got canceled, deplatformed, and fired and ridiculed. Now, we can say this on this show, but if I try saying this in something like Oh, let's say LinkedIn, I will actually not be able to publish anything for two weeks. And that's happened to me more than once. This Soviet era response is not thanks to the doctors, but to a few docs and wonks who are beholden to corporate profits and suits. Not us, and they're not beholden to outcomes for sure. It's not your fault. My third point is MAs wear scrubs in primary care clinics, but why? Most are transaction clerks and tennies as is the front desk, the outtake, the referral coordinator, the biller coder, the collector. Even the practice manager is heavily into the transaction of getting paid versus the delivery of care to me and you. And the room prep is even administrative too, but it's more accurately called janitorial, let's call it what it is. And the only real caregivers are the blood draw, the triage nurse who seats us and cuffs us and weighs us, and the shot nurse. They actually touch the patient care, something resembling care, so this rise of this administrative class in clinics is only to get reimbursed, to please the master of the plantation on the big hill. No typos, please, or welcome to denial hell, the modern equivalent of, well, let's not go there. Okay, this regime of pre-authorizations and chargebacks in 1985 fax technology reliance is a hot sweater in July that PCPs are forced to wear on the hottest day. And it's not on them, this administrative bloat unique to America. It's not your fault. I'd like to thank the Academy. Okay, cue the music and shut the guy up. But wait, there's a better, faster, cheaper way than this pain inflicted on all of us, thanks to the corporate hijacking of primary care funded and delivered by the getaway drivers to the caper, the feds, and the polls. All this gaming birthed a direct contract movement in 1993, not only among primary care, but among surgery centers, imaging, and specialists. Today's guest, we're going to learn a lot more about free market surgery centers. So soon, happy birthday to you, direct contracting. Now, as we started using this word in the show, I'm starting to see this word pop up in sort of the lexicon out there a lot more often because we finally have a name for this. So we're calling it direct contracting these days. 
and even CMS has adopted this. But direct contracts who skip big bloated middles, ditch this holy CPT code Bible, forget what ICD-10 means, even means or cares about it, and now is employing 20 to 30,000 much happier PCPs who not only get higher quantity time FaceTime with the patient, but are getting higher quality FaceTime without having to type, 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 click, 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 click. So the surgeons can double or better their take-home pay, and everybody loves cash pay the same day. So we can all buy our billers, coders, collectors, oh, and audios, pre-offs, and prior-offs, and chargebacks and denials of claims. Give them the boot. All that silly nonsense. Thank you, sir. May I have another? It's masochistic. Let the others play in that dystopian universe. We all have opted out, including today's guest. So in this 30 million consumer strong alt universe where everybody has opted out, we also are all winning, which is our agenda today is let's sort out who wins and who loses. If not anybody loses, that's the secret, but who wins with free market surgery? So I've already given you the spoiler alert, nobody loses. And since 1993, 60 free market surgery centers have cropped up opening to locally serve employers and consumers that will pay cash in this impressive direct contracting ecosystem. The original free market surgery center in Oklahoma City has not raised their prices in 29 years. Friend of the show, Dr. Keith Smith, in fact, told me that they've lowered many procedures since 1993. Where else will you find that in healthcare? So let's make this real for you guys. A hip replacement at the three free market surgery centers on this show, including today's guest, range from 14,000 to 22,000, total hip replacement. At a system, the same procedure is gonna start at 35 grand and jumps I've seen as high as 118, 120,000. And you can't argue that you're getting better quality because you're not. And you can't argue that you're getting lower infection rates because you're not. And you can't argue you're having lower complication rates because you're not. Because the folks that are doing these surgeries at free market centers just do these procedures. And I hear today's guest nodding in agreement violently so much the wind is shaking around his head. So today, I'm happy to introduce to you the latest free market center to open, Dr. Ron Pinecki, who's an anesthesiologist and co-founder of the Wellbridge Surgical Center in Northwest Indianapolis. Welcome, Ron, to the show. Any comments before we get going? Thanks so much for having me on, Ron. Um, you, you really hit on a big point because um, when it comes to total joint replacement, we actually look locally at the hospital systems that we are surrounded by. And the, um, the pre-cash pay price was, I believe, 134000 The cash pay discount added in was 79800 and that didn't include anesthesia or surgeon professional fees or imaging. So, so you're, you're on the money. It's just, if somebody has a high deductible, there's no reason for them to ever go there because they can burn through their high deductible with you and then they can get, you know, there's money to spend afterwards. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So what I want to talk about, first of all, when did y'all start Wellbridge and how are y'all coming along with it? Is it going nicely for you? Yeah, it's, it's been an exciting time. Um, the, the process started um, about five years ago at a free market medical association conference that myself and Dr. Eric. Inman, one of the other um, partners here at Wellbridge, um, we attended and met Keith Smith. We had been 10, about 10 years into practice at that point and realized that we were somewhat complicit in a system that was not only broken, but was actively breaking more and more in front of our eyes. And so kind of Keith was, was kind of the kind of the point person and, and really the first person that, that we spoke with, met with, and, and, and got to know really well and talked about, you know, how he was fixing the problem. 
and it really resonated with us. And so it, it got us excited about like getting back to kind of the basics that you referred to earlier in this conversation about basically the delivery of care. You have a patient, you have physician, nurses, and techs, and, and how do we cut all the rest of the bureaucracy and the, the, the business side of things that aren't necessary and that are inflating costs. So um, after meeting Keith, we spent about two years um, learning, um, understanding how this could possibly work with a lot of kind of insight from Keith along the way. Um, and then we spent about two more years um, developing pro formas and business models and, and looking at our local market to determine how aggressive and how competitive we would be. And then uh, just built the building, uh, hired the staff, and now have been up and operating since fourth, fourth quarter of, of last year. I'm so excited for y'all. That's really happy news. Can you imagine a future, Ron? And by the way, I love your first name. It's really, uh, doesn't it be super <laughs> smart and handsome guy? Yeah, I think it means that. Can you see a future where there's hundreds of these pre-market surgery centers across the country and basically it just out-competes the big systems? I can, and I think it's going to have to happen. The alternative is, is not um, appealing to anybody. Um, we, we've seen what, what government involvement in healthcare can do and um, what it's done already um, and how it's affected the current system that we're in. And, and, and I don't think that's the direction we want to go in. Um, you know, we talk here all the time, and I think Keith even echoes the same statement that, you know, we want to see competition in this space because competition is going to spur growth. It's going to spur uh, advancement and, and it's going to advance the delivery of care. Um, I firmly believe that there's not been much advancement in the delivery of care, the actual process the patient goes through and the quality of that process in the last 30 years, it's only gone down. And so um, through these um, models and, and these desires to, to deliver quality um, and excellence in care, not just quote unquote standard of care, um, that, that that's going to happen. And so, so the short answer is absolutely. What is the secret to getting these 60, and I know you're not all affiliated, but you know each other, these 60 surgery centers all on centers of excellence lists for people like Walmart? Because right now Walmart's just picking these gigantic Mayos, you know, Cleveland clinics. They're picking these monsters to serve the centers of excellence for their employees because they're paying for these surgeries and these procedures. But I can't imagine why free market centers like yours can't make that list because we know from Keith you have virtually zero complications in this space because when you have a pro that's all he or she does all day long, they're going to knock it out and they're going to be more efficient and they're going to have less infection rates and they're going to have much better processes, right? That's true. And, you know, in the case of, of Wellbridge, and I'm sure Keith is the same way in these other centers as well, um, we track this stuff and we actually scrutinize over these data points. Um, and we have done that from, from day one, patient one, because we know that we have to demonstrate, hey, if you're, if you're a new entity um, in, a, in a system, in an area, that you have to demonstrate that, hey, you are above board in every aspect, um, you know, infection rate, complication rate, quality of surgeons, um, quality of the facility, and, you know, technology that's incorporated into the design and of the ORs and that kind of thing. So all that stuff really matters. Did you ever have any trouble recruiting any surgeons to your model once you got it going? Um, I can tell you in Indiana, it's a unique situation. Um, it's probably favorable, for sure favorable for us. Um, if you look at the RAND study and some of the data points out there from other studies, Indiana is the fourth highest cost of care in the country um, wow. out of 50 states. And they are the fourth or fifth lowest physician reimbursement out of 50 states. And so... In the surgical space, I can speak to that more specifically. You know, when we're dealing with and interacting with surgeons, 
um, they, they see this, they feel this year to year um, and, and what's going on. And you have two camps, right? You have the employed surgeons and you have the private practice surgeons. On the private practice side, you have one or two small, you know, one or two individual small groups all the way up to 100 physician groups. Um, those individuals are all interested in, in being a part of what we have going on here. And even on the employed side of things, I had four surgeons in the last three weeks that are um, employed with contractual non-competes with healthcare systems that say they want to operate at Wellbridge and actually have ha asked the CMO and or administration to allow them to operate at our facility on their side time, vacation time, um, otherwise unscheduled time um, at, their, at their hospital facilities. And, and they've been told all uni universally no. Hmm. Your universe will pay them much more than they'll receive any other way because it's cash pay. And because again, there's no middlemen and no bill or coders and all that administrative regime. How much more will a surgeon make if they do a procedure with you typically than with outside? significantly um, the, the way that the conversations usually start are and, the, and these are a lot of these people are professional colleagues at minimum and and most of them are, are also friends you know people that we know in the community our kids go to the same schools and we've seen each other in social events and so you know after 10 years of working with somebody you, you know the quality of the individual and, and their complication rate and the patient response to them and how patients perceive them but the conversation is usually pretty simple um, you know we say to hey dr smith we know you're a fantastic general surgeon in the community. Your patients all love you and you're, you're supremely talented at what you do. What do you need to make this work? Um, there is so much margin that the hospital has built in that I frankly don't, um, don't care um, oftentimes what that number is. Um, and, and they wanna be fair about it. And honestly, it's not a, a situation where we're wanting to try to get 5% over what commercial reimbursement is for a procedure. We wanna make this more than favorable for them. And so I just asked them, hey, what's a, what's a number that makes sense for you? And, and that's a lesson I learned from Keith Smith, you know, when, when we met with him, he said, look, I just oftentimes offer them, you know, a, a number that, that, that they think is fair. And so there's no haggling involved, but the short answer is they can usually make between the, the increased reimbursement and the increased efficiency compared to hospital-based practice, probably about 100% more. So, so two times as much on an hourly basis. Yeah, that bears out from talking to Sean Kelly in Texas here. Let's talk about, so the docs went clearly, they get more efficiency and they get more take home and they're not gonna have as many complications because it's their team, their staff, right? It, it is, um, it depends on the, the specialty. You know, a lot of the orthopedic surgeons we partner with have first assists, so they bring their staff. Um, we have some cosmetic surgeons that also do the same. Um, those work out nicely, um, but also our staff, are basically trained in all areas that, that we, you know, we don't have individual staff that do just um, general surgery, but can't do ENT. Our staff are trained and, and really experts in, in, in all those fields and are, are capable of scrubbing those cases. Um, when it get, and when it gets to like very specific surgeries that, that are very involved, like total joint replacement, you know, we have staff that are, that have done additional training, you know, CSTs and, and first system additional training in those fields. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how you had conversations with the local TPAs and third party administrators, and then the local employers that are self-funding to introduce them to your concept. We have our third partner, Jeff Williams. He is the kind of the business marketing outreach and, and business development guy who's been basically knocking on all the doors and, and meeting with these entities. So he's interacted with quite a few TPAs and, and, um, and brokers, and there are a fair number that really are interested 
in this and really want to see this work on behalf of their employers. Um, it's been a, a little bit of a challenge to try to figure out um, what the pressure points are. Um, we do know that there are certain entities out there that, that are um, reimbursed on a percentage of claims um, that there it's it would not be beneficial for them to partner with Wellbridge because if you reduce the cost by 50%, then each one of those claims as a percentage drops for them as well. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of getting to know them and understanding who they are um, and working through those processes. Um, the other part of that is um, we're trying to get in and talk to the decision makers at the companies directly, um, the CFOs and the COOs, all the companies care about this, um, but they also rely on those brokers and TPAs to, to basically interpret the information for them. So um, navigating that has been been exciting, but also challenging, but it's 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 moving forward and we're, we're pretty excited about it. Well, there, there's a big giant thing that's happening in your favor right now is that the CIA is forcing the brokers to disclose all their hidden fees. And from previous guests on the show, we know that there could be up to 17 hidden fees. They're not disclosing to the employers. There's going to be a lot of very upset employers when they see all these little nickel and dime. And it's not nickel and dimes. We're talking about millions. They're not, they're unaware. They're feeding off these plans. Right. right. So that's going to actually help y'all, I believe, this transparency. Let's talk about the consumer. How does the consumer, the patient, win when they come to see y'all versus going out into the larger world? That's the part that, that really kind of gets me excited. Like I said, as a clinician, um, one of the things I've had a problem with is, you know, when I worked in the health system, um, you know, patients would ask, are you in network? And I, most of the time I didn't know, you know, or I assumed I was, but I, I couldn't say with 100% certainty. Um, but the part that really bothered me was that depending on their circumstances, who insured them and what their circumstances were as far as their policy, the price for the, the, the anesthetic care that I delivered that very vastly. So it could be anywhere from a few cents on the dollar to, you know, five, 10x more than, than the lowest number for, you know, the cost to the patient um, or the, the employer. Um, and, and that's just fundamentally, in my mind, not fair. Um, it's, it's almost, it's discriminatory is really, is what it is. Um, if I'm delivering care to a, a you know, an, a corporate entity that, that, that's partnering with Wallbridge, I want them to have an absolute the best value that they can get. And if an individual comes in and needs surgery, I also want them to have the be best value. I don't think we should discriminate based upon those circumstances. And so we're really kind of passionate about that part of, of it. Just so refreshing for many of our listeners to hear a surgeon talking about best value, because that's the last thing on their lips in most of their uh, worlds that they live in. So it's just really nice. Now let's talk about outcomes. Again, I know you're going to have to play with the outcomes from others that are in this field right now, but what do the outcomes look like in terms of patient readmissions and infection rates and all that? Do you have a sense of that from your colleagues? I, I do. We do weekly meetings to kind of, you know, look at quality and quality improvement meetings of basically what it is. And, um, you know, I can tell you right now, we've been open only since fourth quarter of last year. So we're a very, very new facility, um, but we currently have zero infections. <laughs> Um, we've had zero complications as well. So we haven't had any bring backs, any post post-surgical bleeds, any transfers out to hospitals. Um, and so, so those metrics are, are very, very important to us because, you know, employers are asking questions that the hospitals and or the entities that are currently the big fish don't really, um, I guess, devote time and attention to, which are questions like, um, what is the, the, the reasonable return to work timeframe for this? Um, what things can be done based upon the type of procedure, minimally invasive, 
invasive versus open um, that's going to allow them to heal the employees to heal quicker and um, for them to recover with the best outcomes and also for them to return to to functional um, ability too. So so all that stuff matters um, mm-hmm. to, to the employers and 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 those are things that we care about. You know, it it matters to to the people. It matters to the employer and, and it matters to us. It's great. I'm going to jump in here with a tiny editorial. How the community benefits is if the employer is now saving, in your case, $50,000, on a surgery and doing that writ large with 1,000 employees, then they can now give a raise to their employees and they can take away their premiums, deductibles, and co-pays. Are you seeing a little bit of that happen in your community? We are, and it depends on the entity, you know, the, the employer, because some of them are, are very um, aware of the, the environment and they've, they've done their due diligence and they're starting to think that way. Other of them, other entities we've had to kind of suggest that, which is fine, um, but that's the one of the big points that we try to make is like, you know, you're going to save thousands, maybe tens of thousands per encounter um, for some of these surgeries. Um, it's worthwhile to basically incentivize folks to really think about the, their spending because it's fundamentally their spending as, as employees. Their premiums are going to go up next year if the self-funded entity has to pay out huge dollar amount claims. And so the employee's got to be um, aware of that and kind of educated on that part. Um, but one of the things that we always say is, you know, you probably, if you're looking for ideas, want to think about maybe waiving a deductible if they come to, to Wellbridge or other surgery centers similar to, to us, because the savings are going to be so great that um, everyone benefits. Yeah, there's enough in there for everybody. Absolutely. So that's what's happening. I believe, again, on a large scale, as more employers discover folks like you, is that when you have the friction of healthcare disappear from the employee's paycheck, that that gets rid of a lot of class warfare and inequities that people see and access, of course, we have free direct primary care, either on-site or near-site, which is, again, the guests on our show are companies that are now scaling the old-fashioned mom-and-pop DPC into a national brand. Right. And right. so we have folks that are in all 48 states right now, though eventually be in 50. We have folks that are in 10 or 20 states regionally. You have several up there that are growing very fast, and they're all growing 60, 70, 80%. So clearly this is a like a vortex, a vacuum. People want this badly, this, this new way of doing direct contracting. I, I totally agree. And um, we're, we're kind of an open book here. You know, medicine in historically has been one of those things where not many people understand it reasonably. So it's complicated. Um, but also it, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, we, we're trying to be transparent, not only in our costs here, but also in how we do things. A patient has a right to know what the operating room looks like and have questions answered. We, we do tours all the time of the facility and show them the spaces that you're in and, and kind of take the the mysterious aspects and like the, um, the confusing aspects of medicine out of it, because we want the patients educated. We want them to ask those questions and understand the process. Mm-hmm. So, and the final winner that I like to talk about and think about is, so we've talked about basically the doctors are winning, the employers are winning, the consumers are winning. Clearly the costs are going down, outcomes are going and improving in your early stages, but I will talk to your phone and they'll just I'm sure be more of the same. The community wins. Now the shareholders. So we talk about the triple aim. No, it's not even the quadruple aim. It's the, not even the sex tuple aim. It's the set tuple aim, seven aims. And the shareholder being the last one. If a company and a self-insured employer is now saving 20 to 60% on their second biggest spend after labor, which is healthcare, because they're using folks like you, 
they can, again, they can pass it on to their employees and the great resignation and keep good people, not have to be always constantly recruiting, which is what I found in my company. I never lost anybody once I gave free healthcare. And the shareholders can win because it all drops to the bottom line. If you're saving 10,000 per employee, 5,000 per employee, that's all bottom line. It's like a tax credit. It drops the bottom line. There's no filter it has to go through. It's a savings of spend. I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think back, you know, to 15, 20 years ago, um, I remember my wife's physician as well. And I remember um, she was an employed physician with a, a private group and her group healthcare cost for the premium to her was $1 per employee. Um, and that was with a, a good plan at the time with relatively low deductibles and access to all the greatest and best doctors and facilities. And if we could move the needle on that to try to get healthcare costs from being a backbreaker for the companies to, to basically being a small line item on the, on the, um, the pay stub, that's, that to me would be a huge win. Well, if you're a Hoosier or a Texan, you're going to feel the same way about saving money and not wasting a bunch of time and all the friction that goes with that. So, Ron, I'm obviously a big fan of this. You know what? I think it's going to move the needle on this whole movement because it's a movement. We don't have a leader. We don't have a John F. Kennedy. We don't have Martin Luther King, but we definitely have our movement. I mean, I guess maybe Keith Smith might come the closest to it. But what I believe is that we have an opportunity to bring people on this show that are successfully engaging with y'all. And at first you may be nervous about bringing employers on that are saving a ton of money, but letting the CFO speak on the air to speak on a show and talk about this is really kind of my focus this year is I want to get more folks like you alongside folks that are happy with people like you to tell their story because that gives other employers courage because they think this whole thing is a big kind of a honey trap or something. They don't know what's going on. Like it sounds too good to be true. Right. And it's not, it's real. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Totally agree. That's, that's what everyone says. It's like, there's no way that you can be half as much or less and have a nicer facility and have a better experience. And, and, and I know on paper, it seems that's true, but when you come and see it and experience it and the patients we've taken care of over the past months can attest to it, um, it, it actually is when you realize the margin that's been built in and all the extra and, stuff. Yeah, and to boot. You've got really good-looking, smart guys named Ron that are head of the thing. So this is what adds no to doubt, the, what, no doubt, yeah, adds to the joy. Well, okay. So is there anything I missed that we should cover? Because if not, I want to sign off with a fun question for you. Um, no, I just appreciate the opportunity to to kind of share what we've learned and kind of where we've gone and and where we're going. Well, not only am I a fan, I'm a raving fan of what this all is about. You can tell I'm passionate about it. So. First of all, how do folks find you guys, Ron, if they want to talk to you? Sure. Yeah, we have a website that's, um, that's active uh, with a fair amount of information about WellBridge, the history of it, who we are individually and as a group. Um, and also, I think at last check, over 300 procedures listed that we're adding to weekly um, with transparent pricing. These are bundled prices all in, includes everything, the surgeon, the anesthesia, the facility fee, any implants, pathology unless specified otherwise, it, it literally is, and all their follow-up. So it literally is all um, of the care. Oh, wow, that, that, no, you just said something interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you said all the follow-ups. You're saying the rehab is also thrown in there? In certain cases, in most cases okay. it is. Like for example, total joints, um, the self-directed rehab and, and information that's necessary to the patient and the instructional parts of it, as well as 
post-op x-rays. And I think what's standard in the joint replacement um, industry and specialty is um, two follow-up visits. Um, all of those things are included in the cost of the procedure. Um, and that applies for all the procedures we do. So if there's one indicated post-op visit versus three, that's included in the cost. Nice. Okay, that's that's refreshing because a lot of folks don't do that. That's good. Well, Ron, thank you. And so my final question is, if you could fly a banner over Indianapolis or over America larger, what would that banner say to all Americans? I think if I was able to fly a banner and I was trying to, to reach patients who are frustrated, hurt, or basically bankrupted or in the risk of being bankrupted by the, the system or the process would be, you deserve to know the cost of what you're receiving and the quality of it before you're obligated to receive it. And we'd like the opportunity to demonstrate to you why we're better. See, they're gonna see, they're gonna read that banner because it's gonna take 16 airplanes to say that. Yeah, that would be maybe a jet. I need something with a little more power. See, they're gonna go, what are all those 16 planes doing flying over our, you know, our <laughs> lake? By the way, I almost married a girl from Indianapolis, but I would have had to be run a very large retail operation you'll recognize the name of, and I, I didn't love her that much. Like, <laughs> I, I love Indianapolis. I love driving up to Chicago easily. It's really a beautiful part of the country, and the people are so nice there. But I didn't want to marry that girl and, you know, be in that business. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I'll tell you after the show who it was. You'll recognize the name right away. I understood. understood. Well, like I said, I really appreciate you having us on. And, and I don't know if I answered earlier, but yeah, if patients are curious, they can go to wellbridgesurgical.com and um, feel free to reach out to us through there. Okay, Ron. Thanks again. We'll check in with you as the time marches on. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.